Hello, welcome back. This is season four, the beginning of season four of Falling Out as ever. I'm your host, Elgin Strait, and I'm delighted to be here with you. I took a break, as you may have realized. Got some updates on what I did during that break. Uh, if you will remember, I wanted to use the break time to focus some time and energy on trying to figure out how to Japaneseify my whole podcast. And I think at the time, I sort of thought maybe, you know what, it's 2022 coming on to 2023. Maybe there's some AI-enabled Japaneseify button that I can press to just make this work. And let me tell you, listener, that button does not exist. Unfortunately, it is a tenuous and difficult process to translate a show like this, which is over 50 hours now. Um, it's not easy to do that, and I spoke to a lot of people along the way trying to figure out a process that works. I made some friends who speak Japanese, and I fucking love those people. They know who they are. And at a minimum, I was able to construct a six-minute proof-of-concept video, which is now available on TikTok, and I will share the link to that in the show notes. It's a six-minute video with good Japanese subtitles, and I think that sets a template for me to do some of that in the future with select pieces of content. If people have suggestions on what episodes they think would be super beneficial to the Japanese community, then please let me know. I've got some ideas myself, but I would love to hear from the listener community because fundamentally I can throw some resource at that, but it takes time and effort and energy and multiple people behind the scenes to make it happen. So I just want to make sure it's as high impact as possible for that audience. Now, that video that I made on TikTok, it's specifically about the practice of coerced adoption, the offering child practice that has been discussed a few times on this show. And I specifically did it on that topic because at the time, which was maybe mid-November, mid-December, at the time there was a strong focus on the issue of coerced adoption in Japan as part of the legal investigations that are happening over there. And I just wanted to provide the audience with an update on what is happening over there, and then we're going to talk about the season and this show. So to bring you up to speed, I'm recording this on Wednesday, the 18th of January, and should go live on the 25th of January. A few things have happened in Japan after the Shinzo Abe assassination. So number one, there's, there's been an ongoing saga over there. The long and the short of it now, that towards the end of December, Japan started looking at updating their laws regarding the religious abuse of second generation followers of the Unification Church as well as other religious organizations. And there is some speculation that rather than removing the Unification Church's tax-exempt status in Japan, which would force them to open their books and force out into the air all of the money and the connections between the Unification Church and politicians in Japan, it has been speculated that rather than take that step, which it looked like there was some momentum towards, they have decided to instead change the laws with regards to religious abuse of second generation survivors. And 
I'm going to read you an article or an excerpt of an article from December 26, 2022, from the Mainichi, which is a Japanese newspaper. This is an English version. So again, this is December 26, 2022, Tokyo. Details of a draft of guidelines by Japan's welfare ministry against religious abuse compiled in response to complaints by second-generation people born to Family Federation for World Peace and Unification First followers and unification. You know who the fuck I'm talking about. Have become clear. Japan's child abuse prevention law defines abuse as assault or indecent behavior by a guardian toward a child, neglect such as not taking care of a child, and emotionally traumatic behavior such as using abusive language at a child or rejecting them. However, it is said that there are cases in which child welfare centers do not know how to respond to such incidents out of consideration for religious freedom as stipulated by the Constitution. The ministry has been pushing to compile the guidelines as Second-generation followers of the religious group formerly known as the Unification Church have been complaining that they, quote, aren't recognized as victims of abuse for religious reasons. The draft guidelines clearly stipulate that basically even if the guardian or the child has a religious or some other kind of belief, the matter should be treated in the same way as a normal abuse case. Examples of physical abuse include slapping or whipping a child to force them to participate in religious activities. Psychological abuse includes threats such as saying you're going to hell to prevent children from choosing their own career paths, employment, relationships, and marriages, as well as implanting strong fear by referring to their friends and teachers as enemies. Other behaviors such as not allowing the child to receive necessary medical treatment, including blood transfusions, are mentioned as well. The draft guidelines also point out that child welfare centers should be careful in dealing with such issues since the victimized children may, may not be able to see their own situation objectively due to the strong influence of their parents' values, and that offering guidance may inadvertently strengthen the influence of the parents and religious organizations. The guidelines urge child welfare centers to take measures such as taking children under temporary custody when necessary, without hesitation. Now, when I read that, first of all, okay, I accept the criticism of the government and that they haven't gone far enough in terms of removing the unification church's protected religious status in japan but having said that holy shit i mean here we have a government actually stating that the shit that everyone grew up with in the unification church including me and including everyone else that has been interviewed and every single other kid who had anything to do with it that's all classified as child abuse from a legal perspective. That is honestly kind of breathtaking that something like that could happen at the at the governmental level to, 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 to shift the perception and remove the religious protection of child abusers, which is what the Unification Church is. And, and I read this and I think of, wow, okay, so they're saying... The guidelines urge child welfare centers to take measures such as taking ch children under temporary custody when necessary without hesitation. I mean, what does it tell you about what you're doing as a group and what we all experienced if it's something that the government deems it necessary to take your kids away from you and put them into foster care? That's that's actually the thing that really gets me about this is is like the that is a really serious thing. And don't get me wrong. I'm sure foster care really fucking sucks. But the fact that the government is is willing to say that actually that might be a better alternative than staying in these really shitty situations for these kids, that's saying a lot. Kind of 
gives me the chills just hearing that. But if you're listening to this and you grew up in that environment, yes, it was that bad. When I read this, another thing I think of is the just the overall complicitness of society in allowing thousands of us Mooney kids, but millions of kids, if you include the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, all kinds of, of other extremely controlling groups. You know, for for a lot of those groups, there there was a lot of concern when when people were being recruited into those groups, and you saw the sort of the the boom of the the deprogrammers and the anti cult sort of ecosystem developed in the seventies and eighties, and you know, all, all of that was actually driven by the demand, and this is actually kind of a depressing realization to come to, but the demand came from the parents who saw their kids getting sucked into these groups or the siblings or the friends of people who were sucked into these groups. Those were the advocates. Those were the only people to advocate for those people. And then once those people were sucked in, the byproduct of that, their kids were completely left out to dry with no one on the outside to, to advocate for them. And so it's not just, it's not just me. It's not just us Moonies, but reading about this feels like some sort of victory for potentially millions of kids who grew up in similarly shitty circumstances. And I don't want this to be construed as me somehow supporting the actions of Yamagami or being an advocate for more violence. I want to be really clear. I'm not advocating for more violence. In fact, the last thing I want to do is see anyone else of, of us victims suffer further as a result of this institution. Yamagami threw his life away. Sorry, but that's what he did. And I don't want to see that happen to anyone else. Yamagami's life was already fucked up enough by the organization. So the last thing I want to see is more destruction. But at the same time, if anything, the Yamagami situation has shown that the Unification Church is not immune. And I actually don't think it was Yamagami that caused this change. The real thing that caused the change was the other second generation people in Japan who came forward and offered a, a cacophony and offered a, a chorus of voices blowing the whistle on the abuse within the organization. I've used this analogy before. I don't know if it's been on this show, but certainly with some people I've been talking about this stuff with that doing this podcast and other people who are speaking out in, in their in their own ways and even, you know, things like people writing letters to fucking Goldman Sachs for having their chairman being a uh, human trafficking profiteer. And by the way, still hearing nothing back. Each of those instances reminds me of the raptors in Jurassic Park testing the fences. And one day the fence is going to go down. And I liked that analogy for a long time, but then recently something else has occurred to me. The other thing about Jurassic Park is those dinosaurs weren't just born into a life of servitude to their human masters. They were bred into that life of servitude. And guess what? Same thing happened with all of us. Yeah, that's right. You may not have considered it, but if you're one of us, you were bred into servitude. Just like those little baby dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, you were bred into servitude. So is it any wonder some of us fucking raptors are testing the fucking fences. And it brings me great sorrow to know that someone like Yamagami gave his life testing 
the fences. And I don't want to see any more of us suffer. So again, I'm stating I don't want to see any more destruction at the hands of this organization. But I do think we can learn from what's happened. And one thing that we can learn is that the more we talk about it, the more the sandcastle crumbles. So I guess all that is to say thank you for all the guests that have put their faith in me in previous seasons and in this upcoming season. And if anyone else would like to be on the show, please contact me. We still have a bit of room this season and, of course, upcoming seasons as well. And I'm sorry, but just to go back to Jurassic Park, because do you know what happens to the gamekeeper in Jurassic Park? He's so focused on the raptors. And then out of nowhere, some badass bitch comes and fucks him up. And I think that's how this is going to go somehow. Some badass bitch who I don't, probably don't even know right now, to be honest. Someone's going to figure it out. While the UC is focused on fighting fires and trying to tell lies about the people who are telling the truth about them, someone's going to figure it out. Some legal thing. It's going to catch them out. So to all the badass bitches out there, I salute you and I cannot wait to see what you come up with. And I can't wait for some dumbass at the Unification Church to just look up one day and go, Clever girl. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should go fucking watch Jurassic Park. Now that brings me to this episode here. To kick off season one, I'm delighted to have Lisa and Rob Cohn. I'm actually not going to say anything more about their backstories because you just got to listen to this episode. Uh, it is fucking great. I have to say I love this format of interviewing siblings together. I think it's really fun and you can really hear the dynamic between Rob and Lisa from the very beginning. And it's great. We just had a ton of fun. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Here it goes. Season four, episode one, Raised by Wolves. Uh, all right, cool. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure. Uh, today we have uh, Lisa and Robbie Cohn. Um, Lisa is the author of the book To the Moon and Back, A, a Childhood Under the Influence. Uh, it's a memoir uh, about growing up in the Moonies, amongst other things. Um, and we also have her brother who uh, hasn't written a book, uh, but also lived under... <laughs> lived under similar circumstances and uh i think uh might have some 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 things to say about this this entire topic in other words you've got you've got lisa cone and her brother yes (laughs) (laughs) yes i think lisa's happy with that introduction i kind of like this way this is going so far this is good good i've never like yeah top villain baby yeah Top, top. She's going and her older brother. I, I want some credit here. Okay, all right. Okay, so let's start there. So who, so who, who was, who was born? Well, okay, Rob, you were born, born first. And to set the scene, so um, if I recall correctly from the book, um, well, okay, why don't you guys t- tell tell us like like the sort sort of circumstances of your birth and how you ended up falling into into the Moonies. You you want to start, Rob? Since you're the oldest, you can you, you can start. You want me to tell the circumstances of your of your birth again? Go ahead. You do you. Sure, Lisa, go for it. Tell the story sure. of my birth. You do you. You were there. I was not there. You do you. I remember. I'm the one that gave you all the memories. You do you. Um, yeah. I mean, I was born in 1962. 
So it's been a long time. Um, my parents were 18. My mom was 18 when I was born. My dad had just turned 19. They were young. They were just out of high school. Um, it was a very different time. And wonderful, supportive, what the fuck is going on with that family we have, I find out years later. I think, Lisa, it's, it was in one of the responses to your book that my aunt at the time, through marriage, always wondered why my mom, Mimi, never had an abortion. Wow. Why didn't she get an abortion? And she decided to let us know that. It was like, thank you. But anyway, that's that's the way it was at the time. Uh, my parents, my mom was pregnant with me. They were pregnant with me. They ran away down to Maryland to elope, came back up and were, uh, and the family made them get married again. Back up is back to New York City? Um, New Jersey, but yeah. Yeah. Um, And made them get, have another wedding with the family there, which is now a kind of a running joke with, uh, with Lisa and I and the family is that my mom has been married four times to two people. She got married legally in Maryland to my dad for when they eloped and then another ceremony afterwards. And then she got, you know, married in Madison Square Garden, but didn't have any legal paperwork then. So she had to go do it again legally after that. So she's been married four times to two people. <laughs> um, we were living in New Jersey at the time. Um in a number of different places. I mean, when we were younger, we, you know, my Dad went through um, college, got through Rutgers, Phi Beta Kappa in three years with a wife and two kids. Uh, Then they ran away to England and spent time in the north of England in a town called Ashby, Ashby de la Zouche. Um, And were there for about nine months. They separated there. They realized it wasn't working and came back to the States. We lived briefly in East Orange, New Jersey, which was a town away from Newark during the race riots. We were the white kids in town. Um, and uh, my my mom started hitchhiking and living in communes and, you know, going across country and leaving us with our grandparents at the time. Lisa, you are so good at biting your lips right now. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Rob, and- Robbie, you wanted the floor, man. I know. I'm just, I'm just watching her. <laughs> do that with their lips um yeah I'm, I'm, and i'm r- rambling through this very quickly so feel free to stop me at any point etc because you know it's all but in the it's yeah it's kind of it's kind of in the it's it's in the book and i although part, parts of this are in the book and obviously it's from, from right. Lisa's perspective um right i mean it's interesting so i'm, I'm just going to break from it and say it's yeah. interesting reading the book because there's a lot of it there that i remember there's some of it there that i remember differently yeah and there's some of it there that I don't remember at all because it was Lisa's life. And it's so it was very interesting to me to read the book mm. and see how she perceived some of the same things I perceived differently and how things happened to her that I didn't know about. And the shit that happened to me that she didn't know about was very mm. awkward. We're always, we're a year and a half apart. And, you know, my dad, my parents split when I, when, when we were, I was five, um, and, you know, my mom, and so we were raised with our mom and we'd go and visit my dad in the city sometimes, or he'd come to the Jersey and visit us. But Lisa and I, you know, and my, my mom would run away in the summers and hitchhike cross country and live on communes. Um, Lisa and I were the, were the one constant in our life. Like we were mm. the we were, one person was always there for the other. 
Mm. And so it's very interesting to me to read the book and see the different perceptions of what we obviously went through together and how she, you know, oh, I never knew that, you know, mm. very bizarre and mm. fun. That actually, I feel like there's there's actually a part in the book, the very beginning of the book that I that I want to read that kind of helps to set the scene and actually addresses some of what you've just mentioned. Um, you mean the very first sentence where I'm I'm the first sentence in the yes. book? Yeah, 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 that part, that part. But <laughs> but actually before then, there's the there's there's stuff in the forward and stuff as well. So um yeah. there is there's stuff before 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 you, Robbie. Um, um nothing before but, me. <laughs> but but and actually on that on that topic, um before I before I dive into the book, Lisa, yeah. do you have anything you wanna you wanna add on on, on that? Um so I will just get to the part how we ended up in the church because you yeah. know yeah. Yeah. Okay, and Robbie cool. didn't get yeah, that. I, and Robbie, I didn't mean to that. I didn't mean to have my lips pursed, but I'm like <laughs> I have I have told the story and spoken so many times. I kind of have a way I do it and I'm like, yeah. just shut up and let him do it. And it's perfect. Um so as Robbie was saying, we lived with my mom in East Orange, and then uh my mom's mother, our grandmother, was diagnosed with cancer. So we moved in a couple towns away with our grandparents. And my grandmother finally passed away from the cancer. That's hard for me to say right now, but she did. Mm. And uh, we stayed with my grandfather. And then, as, as as I explain it, in January of 1974, my mom's friend, with whom she used to hitchhike every summer across country to the commune, uh, she called uh, my mom up and she said, you have to go hear Reverend Moon speak. And my mom went to hear him speak in Princeton, New Jersey, and came back enthralled like this is amazing jesus wasn't supposed to die there really is a truth she just was a like, totally taken over um and did nothing for a while and then in the beginning of the summer uh church members convinced her to go up to barrytown which was a church indoctrination center for the new york area in barrytown new york upstate new york for the weekend and as i say she went up for the weekend and came back and turned around and went up for a week and came back mm. and turned around and went up for like another week. And she basically spent the whole summer at Barrytown yeah. okay. getting swept in, getting brainwashed. Wow. And then once one weekend she brought us up, like, let's go. We were like so excited to go where she was going because she was so happy. And, uh, you know, as we always say, we pull up to the, you've been to Barrytown? You know, yeah, I've been, there. I've been there. Yeah. This, I've been there. I've been there multiple well times. Before, right. yeah. Yeah. Well before it was UTS. This is, yeah. this is, okay. this is not UTS. UTS. Yeah, it was not UTS. It was, it was same building. But it was just big empty space. Okay, and you know, so actually, just to just to dive in here for the listeners, so um, yes. Barrytown uh, was is the name of a of a place in upstate New York where there there was I believe previously was a Christian seminary. Yeah, uh, it was, and, yeah, a Christian boarding school or something. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and then the, the 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 Unification Church bought it, I guess, in the early seventies. Um, yes. Yeah, and it became what it became known as Unification Theological Seminary. So it became a, a seminary. Many, but, but many years later, it was yeah, the seminary yeah. first. It was yep. a seminary. Okay, and then just became a church estate. Yeah, where. Reverend Moon's kids had their stables and horses where there's just all this land and there were church members and they were just living there and doing okay. things. Yeah. And it was then, the main workshop area. It was the like. So that's it. So was it like the, um, do you think, was it kind of like the Boonville of the of I was the just going to say Coast? it was like the Boonville. It was the Boonville of the East Coast. Wow, it's where you okay. went. It's yeah, like you got on the bus in New York City from 71st Street. If they could get you on the bus, they took you up all the way upstate New York for the weekend, secluded, nothing around, just like yeah. everything else. It was this, but it was this huge building with huge estates. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Whoa, that's crazy. So I'm getting chills just thinking about that because I've been to that place multiple times, but but I never I never like knew of that history that's of it. That's the history and, of it. That's yeah. the history of it. Yeah. So and you are completely separated out from the rest of the world. There's like there are like three yeah. phones in the building, and that's it. You can't call anybody. Yeah. Same as same way, same way. So so we go up with her for the weekend, and um, we drive up, and there are these two members sitting in front of the big steps, and and uh, and they introduce themselves and they're like, just remember us as, right? So this is like my first memory. And then we go and what, when it was the seminary, one of the, one of the big gymnasiums became the library. And I forget what the other gymnasium was, the one on the left, but that's where we went. We went in there. That's, and we went and all of like all the, as I always say, you know, it's full of members and all the sisters are sitting down on the floor on the right side of the room. And all the brothers are sitting down on the floor on the left side of the room. And within moments, Moon walked in with Bohi Pak and started speaking and mm. and I and I say and that was it we were in my mom was in so we were in and what I also point out when I talk about it is the church was a haven for us well, I'll talk about me right but the church was a haven compared to what how crazy the craziness that had happened in our life up to that point mm. and my mom was happy and there was more structure and I even reconnected with my best friend to give you a sense my best friend from fifth grade which was the grade I was in when fifth and sixth grade. And we joined when I was just going into sixth grade. And she's like, oh my gosh, she used to take me to the center on the weekends. I loved it there. It was so wonderful. Everybody was so loving and so nice. So it was, it was this beautiful thing in the beginning. Wow. So, you know, you always hear about these stories of people joining cults, particularly this one where it's like, the parent the the like it's like a you know first generation member like the classic arc what you just descri- described with your mom like absent having kids is kind of like the classic arc of a first generation mooney mm-hmm. um but then you you add the kids to the mix and it's like they you can kind of see how everyone kind of gravitated towards this place where there was more structure than there was in their lives previously. Uh, so you yeah. can, you can kind of see the appeal. And I think one, one of maybe one of the pieces of nuance that that's missing here, but as present is in your, in your book is the fact that your parents were separated at this point, And your dad, I think was, correct me if I'm wrong. He was living in New York city. He was a bartender in New York city um, doing like all, all the drink, all the drugs, sex, um, drugs and, and rock and roll, baby. Yeah, Absolutely. Drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. And like living it was, that absolute downtown party, hard, everything that you think about with hippie lifestyle. That was my dad. So yeah, yeah we, as I like to say, we had the Messiah on one side and Satan on the other. Right. Yeah. And we were spending or splitting our time between the two. So on a lot of levels, the church yet, was though. Yeah. the stability mm. because we had the insanity of the drugs and the smoking and the alcohol and the drinking and the sex and the, you know, and we had, you know, and my mother's craziness before that with, with the, the boyfriend that raped her and, and the abusive boyfriends and the, all, you know, all this other shit that we were around. And then there became the stability, mm. you know. So, so what happened? And, and then we can go to your questions to, to mm. keep going quick. So that's, yeah. that's the summer of 74. And uh, we go back and we're, we're living with my grandfather, with my mom's dad, you know, an hour, maybe not even outside of New York City. And my mom starts going in during the day, sometimes during the week, and then going in every day during the week into the church center to, to serve. And then going in on the first train in the morning and coming home on the last train at night. And then going in and staying over sometimes. And then um, in, in January of 1974, she kind of sat us down and she said something to the effect of, 
I feel like I need to be more involved, right? I need to give more to, to God and the Messiah, to Moon, or to our true parents. What do you think I should do? To which we both said, well, I get we... to finish first. Wait, I get to finish first. To which we both said, go, you should go. You should you wow. should move out and move into the church. And which she then ironically moves into the church to help run the group for people who have kids and can't move into the church. And as I always say, and ironically, as I've said to you, many years in her church, all she did was raise kids born in the church, raised other people's children. And to this day, yeah. we meet people and they're like, oh, thank you. Your mom was so good to me. She yeah. loved me so much. And this I'm is, like, Way. oh, I, I have to say this. I, I don't know if you remember, but uh, like a year, maybe a, a, two years ago when I was first reading your book and we were first in contact, the, the penny dropped that I knew your mom. Uh, and and that she was like she was like a caretaker of us kids in the yes. DC area. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like the penny drop. Yes. Like I had no idea. And then I was like, oh, holy shit, that's who this woman is. Um, yeah. I want to roll back for a second because it wasn't just my mom said, I you know, I want to go do more in the church. She also said, I want to go do more in the church. Right. And I don't know what to do. I can keep going in early in the morning and coming home late at night. You know. And that, and and I'll continue to get really tired. You see how tired I am and how worn out I am, you know, or I can move in. What do you think I should do? So she gave us this either or option. It wasn't like yeah. a wide open thing for us to figure out. And we just said, go. It was, I can keep abusing myself, but see you kids, or I can abandon you and go in wow. and, and work with the Messiah and not see you. What should, what should I do? And so we told her to go. Yeah. Wow. Which is the biggest mind fuck. Like, because she set it up in a way. She made us tell her to leave us. But in a way, it's also, it's also not, I mean, it's the whole thing. It's this passive aggressive thing, even with the church itself, you know, of, you know, make these decisions. But if you don't do this, it's Satan. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the whole, the whole way it's presented to us is, I can keep abusing myself and wear myself out and, you know, get sick and, you know, or I cannot. Mm. And and then for years, all the leaders would say to us, thank you for your sacrifice. Oh, You're paying such indemnity. wonderful indemnity. You're so lucky. Yes. To sacrifice and give this way for God and true parents. So then not only does your mom leave, and right, and then we end up with my dad, which is a whole nother story after some more craziness. craziness. But not only does your mom leave, but if you miss her, you know you're sinful and satanic. And if you're sad or angry, the church leaders told her, never let never let your kids see you cry. So wow. she never cried. So we never cried. And when you cried, you knew that you know, like you were Satan. It and was sinful. So it was just this like it wasn't just older brothers saying and older sisters saying this. It was people like Kamiyama. Kamiyama. Salonin, right? The president church of the church leaders. of America, right? Whoa. Saying things like, you are you are so lucky to be able to pay this type of indemnity and pay this type of sacrifice that your mom is left. And we are 11, 10 and 11, 11 and 12 at the time. Yeah. A little bit susceptible. Yeah, right? Yeah. It, I mean, it's not just it's not just like, you know, some some older brother in the church. It's not just even the yeah. leader of the center. It is the president of the church in the U.S., the head of the New York church, you know, all knowing us and saying, you're so lucky that your mom left you. Because there were no other Whoa. kids. There were very few other kids. Yeah. So we were very, um, 
blatantly obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also yeah, blatantly yeah. obvious because in our first weekend at Barrytown, we met Moon's kids and became very close friends with them. Mm. So we were also well known for that. We would go in into into um into lectures, and within forty minutes, Hyojin would pull us out. Yeah, the the security guards would come in and pull us out, or Hyojin would come in and pull us out. Someone would pull because. The, moon, the Messiah's kids want to play with Robbie and Lisa. And so you go, right? That's a that, that's an honor. That's an honor. It's an honor. And that's a whole nother mind fucking another well, Because then it got to the like, point where we were being told by people. To control them. Right. You, you need to set a better example for Moon's kids than they're setting for you. But they're the Messiah and they're perfect and they're pure and you're sinning and you're, you're, you're fallen and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're bad. But set a better example for them. Can you what? keep them from running away? Can you keep them from doing that? Can you get them to behave better? What the fuck? And on yeah. the other side, these these are the same grown-ups who just are like, like are incapable of of placing any strict structure around them because they're the Messiah's kids. Uh and then they're asking you to do that in their place, yes. basically. Yes. I, yes. I am I am probably the one sole survivor who has compassion for moon's kids because 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 it i mean it does i will never condone what they've done absolutely never totally get that absolutely but yeah there were no there was there were no rules no guidelines they had no parents they were allowed to do anything they were judged critic criticized for everything they did even though they were allowed to do everything they were worshipped like they let people throw rocks at them and say thank you it was just whack it was uh, we we used to we used to run away from the security guards and hide and throw rocks at them. It was whack. Throw rocks what at, at the security guards yeah. on security behalf guards. on behalf of the Moon Kids mm-hmm. on behalf of Hyojin and Injin and Hongjin with them with, them with them okay with, with yeah. them right because yeah. they could. It was whacked. It, oh it, my god! And I will say that yes, Lisa is probably one of the few that has you know anything for them because in my mind they got what they deserved. Mm. And I'm sorry, my heart doesn't bleed for millionaire billionaire kids. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I'm. I think I'm more with you on this, Robbie. Uh, <laughs> but I also accept, you know, Lisa has her own experience, and like, and and there's yeah, and, the little, and like, they had their yeah. own experience, and I exactly. will never know what it's like to be like them. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm just also going to say I've heard some things that I'm not going to put on tape that I'll tell you when we're not recording. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understand. I understand. Um, I'm probably gonna have more questions for you guys on that, but I want I just want to go back and again, just kind of like, first of all, this is an awesome intro, by the way. This is fantastic. Um, uh, we haven't even like gotten to the book yet. Um, uh, um, and we're only talking about the church. We haven't talked about everything leading up to the church. All that there's either. there's there's a lot. Yeah, and um, so yeah, I just white kids in in an all black town with with a, with a white mom who's dating a black man. Who, who you know, and her parents don't like that, and we have to hide that. And you know, I mean, it was just whoa. It was all that racial tension in the late '60s as well. We were a town away from Newark in the race riots, and we were the white kids in a black town. Yeah. You know, there was one time I was going somewhere with my mom's boyfriend at the time, and the cops stopped us and asked me, "Do I know this man?" Mm. Right. Because this is big older black man with this little white kid. Yeah. You know, the time I went with my mom to bail him out of jail. Wow. Because you know, you know, I mean, it's just there's, there's all of that. 
yeah. it's all of that whole section of this too. Jesus. And that's not really, that's not in the book. Uh, Some of no. that's in the book, but not okay. all. I mean, there, yeah. there's discussions. I that, actually left about... his race out of the book intentionally. I was asked to leave okay. his race out of the book intentionally. And I did. Okay. okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a choice because it, it, it wasn't important to the story. I mean, I'm not saying, Robbie, you shouldn't be saying this. It wasn't important yeah. to the story. And all it did was reinforce stereotypes because he was abusive. So so yeah. just yeah. that's why it's yeah, kind no, of in and kind of yeah, not. No, I, I, I kind of was very careful yeah. with what I did. I understand did. that choice. Yeah. 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 But for us, you know, I got you know, going to kindergarten, coming home from kindergarten one day, I got jumped in, in kindergarten, right? Because I was the white kid, right? Yeah. You know, there was the, that, that, racial pressure and tension was very present in our lives. Yeah, even if it's not talking about in the book because yeah. it doesn't doesn't change the story of the book so much, but it, it gives a background of like yeah. this this insanity was yeah. happening all the way through. Yeah. And, and so then you get back to the, the church being a haven, right? So like yeah. in the well, vow, it, right? It just, in it the just vow makes when it even more of a haven. Yeah. Right. In the vow when um Vicente, Mark Vicente says, nobody, if you've seen it, nobody joins a cult. They join a really good idea and then they realize mm. they were fucked, mm. right? Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. Moon's promise of one human race, one all mm. national, like not reality, clearly, no, but no, no, promise no. of like all races, all people, one family yeah. compared to, you know, to that. going up yeah. in the 60s in the, in the racial yeah. unrest. Exactly. So yeah, yeah again. Yes. A seemingly haven, right? A seemingly haven. Yeah. And so I, still, I still maintain, yeah. given my background, given what happened to me as a kid and who I was as a kid, you know, you read in the book, I, I was doing drugs at 10, right? Wow. So the church probably kept me from becoming a really heavy addict, mm. you know, just because it was wrong. Yeah. That doesn't mean that as I'm older, you know, 17, 18, 19, et cetera, Hyojin isn't taking me out drinking, getting drunk out of my fucking mind while they're doing drugs and they're all buying drugs for him and he's doing you know but it kept me from it mm, interesting i remember when you said that to me yeah yeah so it's well, safe can, yeah that's so and i think this is the hardest thing for people to wrap around their their heads around is like it, there there can be some positive aspects to it but it doesn't make it a, a, a good thing and especially and even a broken who, clock is right twice a day exactly exactly and for people who are in they look at the good things and they're like, oh, how could this be bad? Because it, you know, because it, I have my kids as a result or I have or something like right. that. It's like, well, that doesn't make it good. That doesn't, you know. Um, and I look at my life as well. Like, I have an amazing son as a result of this whole fucked up thing. Great. Fantastic. I love him. I love him to bits. I wouldn't change anything about that. But it doesn't make doesn't make the thing right from from the right. from the outside. I was I was explaining to I'm trying to shop the book some more, but I was explaining yeah. to someone yesterday, and I've said this a lot, right? When, a lot when people read my book, there's a sense of like, well, what what's so bad about it? It doesn't sound so bad because mm. my ex, other than like my mom having to leave and the Messiah banished and like bad things happen, but like I wasn't that I remember physically abused, sexually abused, mm. like there wasn't there wasn't like some of Robbie was. But there wasn't like there wasn't like children of God, some of the horrors of that. Yeah. Right. And so you read the book and people have been like, it doesn't, you know, and I'm like, the harm is psychological. Yes. The harm yes. is yeah. psychical. So like yeah. it's spiritual, it's and, emotional. And and I would I was explaining to someone and I've said this to you, Elgin. Right. So when I first like found this community and then wrote the book or at the same time, 
and started speaking out. And I would go to speak out against Moon or people would ask me questions about Moon and I could not say anything negative about him. Like my brain would just freeze and I could not even get a word out. Like that's Mm. how much my brain was controlled. It was like, you can't say anything bad about the Messiah, right? I don't have that problem. Right, fine, right? But that, and I just, I would like watch myself not be able. Now I'm fine with it. It took a long time, right? But, and that's, that's the horrors of it. Even if I didn't, I mean, if you, other, you know, my mom abandoned us and, and really shitty things did happen. Absolutely true. But if you don't even see the horror in that, what it does to your brain, as I like, we've been out 40, 40 years, 40 plus years and still healing. Yeah. Still healing. Yeah. Always and the other thing, the other thing else, it wasn't just our mom that abandoned us, right? Our dad split, right? Our dad, our mom and dad split up, but it wasn't just they split up, right? Our dad would work for six months or nine months and then run away for a year. Like, you know, we'd, we'd get a, a letter from him saying, I'm in St. Thomas. See you soon. I'm in Morocco. I'm in San Francisco, right? No warning. No, you know, you never knew when he was going to go away. You never knew when he was going to come back. So both parents yeah. would keep disappearing. So neither yeah. one of us has abandonment issues. Of course not. <laughs> well, I, no, and I, I, can't, I, I cannot I imagine make, that I, at all. Yeah, but I, I want to raise it in that it, it, it's not just my mom, right? It was both of them. Yeah. They both did that. They were yeah. both children, having both children. Children having children. Children of the 60s where everything was all about find yourself. So they both did. And, you know, obviously it'll be better for the kids if we are if we take care of ourselves. You know, leave them in a corner over here. Tabula, tabula rasa. They'll grow up perfect on their own. We just mm. need to get them. Yeah, no. Not, yeah. not so much. But yeah. There's a lot, you know, my dad, even, even until, even until high school, my dad would do that. There was, you know, in high school and again in college, like I, Lisa and I, we lived in an apartment in in the city and my bedroom was right next to the front door of the, of the apartment. Lisa's was the next one over. And I woke up one morning and heard noise. I'm like, Dan, what's going on? He's like, nothing, go back to sleep. Sleep. Wake up with my alarm, go into the kitchen. There's a note on the table that says, kids, here's $100. I've gone to Florida for two weeks with Katrine, my girlfriend. We're meeting Ira and Susan. They've rented a boat and we're we're going to be sailing, you know, sailing around Florida for two weeks. See you soon. Wow. No warning. No, nothing. Jesus. Just woke up. He was gone. You know what? And I don't huh. remember that at all. This is the part yeah, that always so, fascinates like, me. Like, that was like led to the party. Do you remember the party? I remember the party. <laughs> remember yeah, the this must have been a hell of a party if it's just called the party. The party <laughs> where the person is starting to kill my, kill themselves in my bedroom and the police were called three times in New York City. Three times. <laughs> Wait, yeah, who tried, it was a lot. The, you, the who tried to kill themselves? Some, friend, a friend of someone from, from my high school. So, not, not a friend of mine. Someone at the party was like on Kaylin drinking and with a knife. She got, oh she got lewds from... from and drank too much on top of them and lisa the, the whole part of the party was lisa was like okay everything's fine you, you're gonna throw a party fine i don't want to be involved don't let them in my room lisa comes home she was went out that night she comes home <laughs> the party's still going on and she walks in the room and <laughs> is sitting there with a knife at a wrist going uh... on my bed oh yeah. my god yeah what that was one of those you know there were a couple of fights 
you know, kids came up the like kids broke into the building to come up the stairs, you know, other kids beat them back down the stairs to get them out of the park. It was just just it was wow. I, oh, I you I, haven't asked me. us a question yet. I know. I've so been funny. like I've been silent. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to get a word in, but I can't because right, we're gonna stop. Okay. Um, so I'm actually not gonna gonna ask a question, but I'm I just want to read a little bit from your book, Lisa. Um uh and so I literally I, I just want to start from the the very the very beginning. This is like page one. I just I just love uh the the dedication of your book, uh, which goes like this for those who have been in, are in and are out, for those whose suffering has felt unsurvivable. Um and I have to say, for me, just the first time I read that, I was like, it brought tears to my eyes and bringing tears to my eyes now because it's like, fuck, someone, someone fucking gets it. This was like, this was written for me. And I'm just, I'm so great, grateful that you wrote this book. Um, okay. And um, yeah, sorry. Um, no, you so mean, I, me too. I'm with like, you. Like literally, it's, it's an incredible book. Um, and then it goes on. And for my kids, being your mom healed my soul and heals me every day. I love you most. I resonate that with with that as well as a, as a parent, but not as much as with the first bit because I like I felt like that was written for me, uh, in a way that no other book has felt. Um, so thank you. thank you for that. Thank you. Um, thank you. Um, and then okay, then I want to I just want to read the prologue because it kind of covers a lot of this, but um, I feel like it it's just, it's a good way to encapsulate all this. So I'm um, just, I'm just going to read this. So this is from the prologue to your book. Um, my brother says that we were raised by wolves. I don't always agree with him, but I don't have a more accurate description of our upbringing. And I, for me, sorry, this is not in your book, but for me, I feel like this is kind of like for listeners of this show, this like basically those two, that first sentence, my brother says that we were raised by wolves. That's, that's like a, almost like a key theme of this podcast. And um, just, you know the the neglect and and trying to to live through that neglect is is a really key theme on this show that i didn't know would be a key theme but i just there's so much that resonates so much with me so anyway uh my brother says that we were raised by wolves i don't always agree with him but i don't have a more accurate description of our upbringing a friend of my dad's pointed out that wolves raise their young with more structure than our parents gave us correct 100 percent correct um not just for you but for for all of us in this call um at first, I had no idea that anything was wrong with my childhood. Yeah, my dad was a hippie bartender who convinced my brother to smoke pot at the age of 10 and who offered to sell uh, and offered to sell me to his friends for drugs. He was kidding. Yeah, I was running the household when I was 11, shopping, cooking, cleaning, because at that point, both my parents were gone. Yeah, my brother and I were left to fend for ourselves way more than you might say is optimal. And yeah, I grew up in a cult. My mom was a Mooney and therefore so were my brothers, my brother and I, excuse me. For those who don't know what that means, the Moonies were members of the Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity, simply known as the Unification Church, the cult of all cults in the American age of cults. I love that sentence. Church members gave their faith, lives, and worldly possessions to a self-proclaimed Messiah from South Korea. Some call it brainwashing. I, sorry, excuse me. Some call it brainwashing. It was my life. I knew it was weird, but I didn't know it was bad. When it's all you know, it's all you know. You have no grasp that it could or should be different. I have to tell you, like, this really resonates with me, just just hearing this. Um, I knew I could tell stories about my parents and people would laugh in disbelief, but I was oblivious to the fact that my stories covered up pain 
and emotional scars and that much of what happened to me shouldn't have happened at all. I didn't realize I was harmed or that I was on a path of harming myself as I got older. I ended up in abusive relationships, anorexia, and mild drug addiction, to name a few things. But it didn't register that these were because I ached so much inside. I didn't know that my psyche was bruised or that I despised myself. As a kid, you misinterpret the nasty things that happened to, to you. Excuse me. As a kid, you misinterpret the nasty things that happened to and around you, and you somehow believe you're to blame. As a young adult, I internalize this more and more. As an older adult, I still can. I can get lost in darkness and desperation. I can feel unworthy or damaged or hopeless. I have my scars and insecurities, my fears that feel like they'll engulf me. I can be washed over with shame, but they're moments. As I said to my older child once, when they struggled against their own demons, the waves of despair become less powerful and hit you less often. I've learned my, excuse me, I've learned to face my terrors and to allow myself joy. It wasn't always an easy thing to do. I've learned that it's up to each of us to create the life we desire. We have the ability to lessen the influences around us that we don't want or don't agree with. When we can't lessen them, we have the ability to keep going despite them, even when we think we don't. Um. Yeah, that's the end of the of the prologue, and um, I just think it's such a brilliant encapsulation of everything that I it, I feel like it's an encapsulation of what I've been through, um, in and it's written way better than I could ever write. Um, so, and that's just the beginning of your book. These are the first four pages, pretty much, that we're talking about. So, um, I just I mean, yeah, it's I just want to say I resonate so much with everything that you've said here, and um, I hope everyone who listens to this buys your book. Um, thank you. Thank um, you. yeah, let me pause there. Um, so can I go first since it was me. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I have never heard it read to me. Oh, okay. So, wow. I'm, I'm crying. <laughs> um, wow. That was like really powerful to hear as opposed to be the one to read it. So, so yeah, it's like, you know, I was like two things, two things. So one is, um, you know, I, I'm going through a lot right now, mm. <laughs> a long list of lot. And, um, and uh, my sleep is racked, whacked out again. And my therapist recently said, uh, you know, I think a lot of this will ease for you when, when you can finally acknowledge how hard it was mm. in your childhood. Cause I still, still will say to my therapist, like, you know, other people had a lot worse, but it was bad. Right. Like it was, because there's this sense of keeping it at bay, right? And when you mm. read it, I'm like, damn, that's a lot. <laughs> In fact, when I'm like, when I say like, I'm having a hard time, people will be like, have you read your book? Don't you yeah. know why? And then the other thing that resonated is, and I wrote that book, the prologue I probably wrote around 2017. The book was written way back before then because it, it took a while to get it to, to, to get a publisher. Um, and I just, I have to say, I, the self-loathing is fucking gone, right? So I just wanted to be like, yay me, not yay me, but like, yay healing that like, mm. it is, it is, it is so not the self-loathing, self-revulsion, black, tarry gunk that was in me from all of this is so much less and so replaced with self-care and self-love, so mm. It's, I don't mean that as a yay me. That's like, you know, why do I keep doing this? Because I want to spread a message of hope. And I was just reading that. When I, sometimes I read things that are in the book and I'm like, oh my God, that's how I felt back then, right? Mm. And and it does get 
better. But wow, that was that was powerful for me to hear. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so thank you. And I yeah. and the fact that it resonates with you and that you feel seen and heard by it. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. When I yeah, found I the second gen community and I was like, you know, I and I've said this before, I was like, I was at an ICSA conference and somebody put up like what it does to your brain. And I just remember thinking like, oh my God, that's my brain. Like what it does to your mm. brain to be born or raised. It's, I can't, I, I don't have the slide. I wish I had it. Like that's my brain. That's every fight I've had in my marriage. That's exactly who I am. And I, mm. I have gone to Scotland a couple of times to do a session for counselors, for therapists on, you know, growing up in a cult and being in the cult and getting out. And then there's a second gen, a JW second gen. And like one of the academics will say something and he and I will, and like at this point I known him like an hour, he and I look at each other and I know exactly what he's thinking, exactly what he's feeling, mm -hmm. like exactly what's going on. Cause it does such specific things mm -hmm. to you. Like we're all different and the stories are all different, but such yeah. specific things. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm not glad you felt seen and in what I wrote, but I'm glad you felt seen in what I wrote. So, mm, yeah. yeah no I, I definitely did yeah and like I said in a way that that I that I haven't uh felt with any other book um yeah ever finding wow okay I'm just gonna let that sink in mm, you should you earned it finding second gens is a powerful thing because up to then it was you know I cold turkey my way out and it was just being <laughs> like, I, like I just <laughs> oh yeah so um it's interesting because, yeah, Lisa and I, we were almost the only kids we knew. There were probably, yeah. you know, a handful of us. We were, and, you know, very few were, you know, when were living in, in and out. They were blessed kids, you know, but there were very few like us, and, you know, uh, you know, a couple others, that, you know, that came in as kids. Yeah. But. They yeah. got to live with their parents, though. I hated them. Yes, mm. they did. I was incredibly jealous. Um, mm. But when we left, we did it on our own. There was no community. community. There was yeah. No... You, you were like literally the first, the the first, the first in, and then when you when you left, there was no one else. We were FIFO, first oh, in, first yeah, out. Exactly. If anyone else yeah. had gone to business school, yeah, yes. there was, yeah, there was, yeah. There, was, there was no one to look to, to for guidance. There was no way to gain back you know what we sorry that's my door now um mm -hmm. there's no way to gain back what you know what we lost out of adolescence that everybody else gained practiced in adolescence mm -hmm. like i had to learn it all for college yeah right? i yeah. i had to learn all of that other than you know going drinking with yojin and doing drugs at 10 <laughs> right but all that interpersonal relationship all that dating all that mm -hmm. any of that I learned after college. Yeah. You know, so I went through my adolescence in my twenties. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. and I, well, I, I didn't say I stopped. Right. I didn't say I, I'm still going through it. Um, you know, Lisa, Lisa's poking at the that's, screen. I, no, that's know, like, I'm supposed to do this when I have something I want to say. Okay. Right? Oh, you yeah. should, you yeah. should go for it. Sorry. I, uh, yeah, go for it. But yeah, it, it's, it, we had no one to, to rely on. And Lisa and I, we had each other. But we're very different, right? Yeah. In the ways that we internalize and process and go through things. Lisa has always been the one who is perfect, who will strive for perfection in everything. She is the one who will go for, 
you know, be really upset that she got a 97 average instead of instead of 100, right? I'm the one who's going, fuck you, world. Hey, let me act out through drugs. Let me act out through sex. Let me do, you know, I'm going to do all of this that I can, mm. right? Because I'm angry. Fuck you. You fucked me up. I'm not going to let you get me down. Fuck you, everybody. Mm. And that's how I dealt with the world and, and got myself out, right? Mm. And it was just a fuck you to all of the shit that I didn't understand it. I just knew it didn't feel right. So fuck it. Mm. Right. You know, and we just tried to live life. And until the second gen, until Lisa discovered the second gen community. Yeah. You know, I didn't know anybody else about it. You know, I, the kids yeah. I knew, they were still, I don't know what happened to them. They were still in the church. Yeah. I'd never heard from them again. Yeah. There was no other community out there. It was just Lisa and I were the mm. only ones who've ever been through this, yeah. ever. Yeah. And it, and to give a sense of context, like how long ago did you find that community? I don't, it wasn't that long ago, right? That's what, that's right. what I'm So thinking. that's what yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. So the book, my book was published in 2018 and they say you meet people on Twitter and I'm like, no, you don't, but you do. Mm. I made a really yeah. good friend on uh. Twitter who pointed me to ICSA, the mm-hmm. International Cultic Studies Association, yeah. the, the, the yeah. Association for Cult Survivors and yeah. whatever. And so the book came out in 2018 uh, in September, and I went to the ICSA conference in 2017, uh, in 2018, oh. right beforehand. Okay. And that was the first time I was like, oh my God, there's a, there's a cult surviving community. There's other yeah. people I can talk to who were even just in a cult. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, second gen, those words didn't even exist back then, right? Because mm. it, it, like, whatever, like, but there was that community. I remember yeah. was at that conference and I was like, oh my God. I know wow. who you are was that the you were first... like this big. Yeah, that was first the first time you met him? Well, like as adults. As, a, as yeah. the first time I met him as adults. Yeah, I knew who he was. Like, that's like, <laughs> like all these ones. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I knew you when you yeah. were too. I know your parents. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah. So I was, was friends 20... with your parents as much as right. you hate. It was 20. I was good friends with your parents, even though you hate them now. On, it doesn't go over very well. I stopped saying it. <laughs> Um, but it was 2018 when I first found it. I was like, oh my God, Robbie, you have to see this. Like mm. there are people like, I wanna, you know, so my story, a lot of different things, you know, my first step of healing was when I almost married an alcoholic, an abusive alcoholic. And someone pointed me to Al-Anon. And I, of course, I go to my first meeting, like, tell me if it's an alcoholic. There's no way I would ever be with an alcoholic because I'm so okay. <laughs> There's nothing wrong inside of me. Um, and I remember, you know, first in Al-Anon and then stumbling into an adult children of alcoholics meeting, right? And then reading the laundry list and you're like, yes, yes, doesn't everybody always yes, yes, no, yes, 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 yes. Mm. And, and but like you would say, I would say to people, you know, when you sit in those meetings, it's like when you say blue, they know what you mean by blue. You don't have to explain yeah. blue. You don't have to be like this color blue. They know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. And then I just like maybe then I found the second gen community oh my god it's like talking like it's like you said it's like oh you really know even if your experience was in a different country whether you were at jacob house or not left or all these different ways and then even like i said with i've become very close with people from other cults and extreme christian religions and stuff and the carvings are so the same and it's just this amazing feeling of i'm not alone like you know thing happens and i'm like like yes right because You know, it's that support that we can give each other where other people can't. I'm always like, I'm glad you can't get it. Other people can't get it. It does a very mm. special, unique, fucked up thing to you, I and, think. 
Can I ask a question there? It's kind of off kilter, but so both of you guys are married now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that manifest itself in your relationship with your spouse? Like, how do you? Yeah. Okay. Go. Yeah. I'm. I'm gonna. Yeah. Go for it, Robbie. So yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna go first. This is my second marriage. Okay. Right? Um. And I'm 60. Okay. I didn't get married the first time until I was 44. Okay. okay. So lots of reasons for all of that, but a lot of that is, like I said, trying to understand who I was, et cetera, and going through my adolescence much later mm. and fear of commitment, fear of intimacy, fear of everything, you know? Yeah. Um, my first marriage was difficult and I was a difficult person in it. I chose a difficult person. I was a difficult person as well. Um, the ingrainedness of the mindset of the cult of the church, right. Of my parents and, and, you know, both my dad on one side, my mom on the other, the fact that it was almost schizophrenic, not in the official term, but you know, the yeah. common usage term of it, that, that, you know, that, that how my brain split, um, made it really difficult for anyone to be with me mm. really hard. Um, I was not an easy person to be with, be around, be in relationship with. Um, I could be incredibly pedantic, incredibly exacting. I would need to know exactly what color blue and in what font are you writing blue? Because in the way I grew up, both with my father on one side and moon in the church on the others, it's like, there's always a loophole, right? This is the rule, but, oh, you interpreted it wrong. So you're still bad, right? Mm. So you had to know exactly what everything was. And I lived my life making sure that I knew exactly what everything was and i spent my entire life looking for what can go wrong right and i'm very good at some of the things i do in my job because i can project forward what are the problems and and you know offset them and you know mitigate them in advance but i'm that's how i look at everything and that made it incredibly hard for me to be in relationship with anybody um my wife's in the other room she's probably listening to me as we say this my second wife (laughs) so anyway we had a kid uh great thing wonderful love him we but we split up I met my second wife a number of years ago at work. Um, For me, I've gone through a lot of healing. I've gone through a lot of growth. There's still more to go. But the first marriage showed me so much. I mean, I go through a lot of healing to get into that point as well. In the first marriage, the first, first marriage showed me so much about what I was not doing well. And how it still impacted me and the fear of being judged from my father on one hand, who was an intellectual judge, and from my mother in the church, who's a God-centered judge. You're going to go to hell for this God. You know, um, I managed to somehow work through a lot of it. And so I don't feel like it. And my wife can say something if she wants to later. Um, we can bring her on if she wants. Yes, I don't know that... I don't think that the church has that level of impact on my marriage now. But again, I left 40 years ago. Okay. So I've been out for 40 years, but it's still in me, right? It's 40 years on and it's still fucking in me. So, okay. uh, To to dive deeper to like a next, a next level question. I don't want to get your input on this lease as well, but like, cause like Lisa, Lisa said, like mentioned this idea of like, like you can't really, 
no one really knows this experience unless they've they've been through it and it creates this instant sort of level of connection and intimacy between people who have been through it so i'm like i guess but like like the real question is like do you think your your spouse either previous or current ever like really truly understands you as an individual that understands me yes but understands all of what happened and made me me no okay I think my current spouse does. I think my my prior spouse did not. I okay. think she still thinks that there's something wrong with me, that I'm damaged. Um, I thought I was damaged. I think she thought I was damaged by my mother, by my father, by the church. Um I don't I don't think that happens now in my current marriage. I don't mm-hmm. feel I don't I feel damaged sometimes. I don't feel damaged all the time, and I don't the majority of what I get, unless I'm hypersensitive from her is acceptance and love so mm. in this one i feel incredibly lucky okay good good so lisa over to you i have to, i have to talk on the damage thing because um yeah. it's another it's another part you'll get to that part in the book so my older child read read the book when it was a manuscript and then uh when they were 16 and then read it again last year sometime very recently and because my kid is my kid they annotated it and we sat, we got on the phone and we're like, we're talking about this. And it, it hits the point where I meet their dad and I write something like, pull it out. You could pull it out. You know, I'm sure my scars and how damaged I am from my childhood is really difficult for him to be with. Mm-hmm. And my kid says to me, what the fuck? <laughs> like, and, and I'm like, all I could think was like, oh my God, that's what I thought mm. when I wrote the book. Mm. around 2009 2010 yeah. right I've and I've been in therapy a long time but again my therapy like my healing has just exponentially gone since I found the cult surviving community and yeah. really looked at really pulled apart what happened and what it did mm. to me and what it did to my brain and um so I just had to say that because Robbie said oh, that's you needing to talk that Robbie said the thing about damage right but that's I thought I was damaged and I walked into my current marriage of nearly 30 years, knowing I was damaged, knowing mm. there was something wrong with me, like knowing I was broken and not worthy and and not aware of all of the, I like to call it like the self-revulsion and self-loathing. You, There's a point in my book when I am first leaving where I almost jump off the bridge because yeah, I'm at Cornell I, and that's what you do. Yeah, That's the right. way it's done in, in Ithaca. That's um, the way it's done in Ithaca, right? Um, and, yeah. I, yeah, I've been there. Um, I not i haven't like been there mentally on on those bridges but but i've been to ithaca and i've seen those bridges. yeah Um, Yeah. but um i actually want to read that passage later later on you're reading the passages i read when i do a book talk absolutely okay okay and um and um what i realized i used to think that my deepest inner like thing was i'm not enough and my deepest inner like when i would really go to the guts of the deepness that was just hurting and the pain and anguish inside me it was, I should have died. I should have jumped. Mm. I was wow. wrong not to do that, right? Wow. And that's that's not true anymore, right? But so I don't, but but I had to say that when you were talking about the damage. And so yeah. and so I walked into my marriage, you know, knowing I was damaged and thinking that was the right way, right? And so kind of like trying to do it that way, whatever that meant, mm. right? And, you know, since the book come out has come out even more, I've been like, no, Lisa. Like you, your whole 
you're beautiful. We all are. We're amazing. Especially those of us who go like, we're freaking amazing. Right. And like to sit in that and, and no, he doesn't get it for a very long time. It actually felt like he, he wasn't actually willing to, to look at it Mm. because it was so threatening. When we first got married, he was like, what if you leave our kids? What if we have kids and you leave like your mother did? Right. Like what if, Mm. so it was very, I mean, he's tried to be very supportive, um, but he doesn't, you know, if you haven't gone through trauma, you luckily don't understand trauma. Mm. If you haven't gone through religious trauma, you don't understand the very unique, you know, like when you put God in it, I think it has a whole different scarring level. Mm -hmm. And again, if you go back to our brains were intentionally controlled when they were supposed to be developing, when we were supposed to be becoming our like individualized selves, we were told if you think anything against what moon says, it's Satan. So you don't, we don't think. We don't feel right. And, and the last thing I'm going to say, and I know Robbie had his you know, more questions. So Robbie had his finger up. Yeah. Um, when I left, I still knew moon was the Messiah. I'm so jealous wow. of those of you who are like, no, it's fake and want to get out early. <laughs> like I was like, <laughs> I knew he was, and I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I was failing and falling and, you know, failing God and breaking God's heart and all those things that we were told, I absolutely internalized even more because I just, Mm -hmm. I had a very dear friend. I kept saying, what if it's right? What if it's right? And I have a very dear friend who finally said, what if it is right, but it's not right for you. And that for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, that was my like buoy to get out. But I, I punished myself and tried to kill myself in many different ways. Like, you know, not kill, but like stopped eating and did a hell of a lot of cocaine and because I deserve to die for what I did. Wow. So yeah, I mean that's a really powerful and I mean illustration of the the damage that these things do. The damage, right? So those people are like, what's yeah. the harm? Like yeah, Miley like, Cyrus mm. said, what's the harm <laughs> if she didn't get out? Like, look at the damage. Look how hard it was to get out. Yeah. 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 Um. So. The the thing I was gonna I want to add yeah. on, on the damage part is, you know, I don't know. Um. Because we get we we learn so much that we're wrong and we're damaged, we will also find relationships that repeat that for us. Mm-hmm. So do people get it? No. And is the majority of literature out there about, you know, abusers will abuse, alcoholics will be will raise alcoholics, you know, all that. So there was one relationship I was in, and this was a woman who was a psychiatrist. And by the way, I will say I've dated a number of psychiatrists in my in my career, um, not intentionally. Don't date psychiatrists; they're all fucking nuts. Um, <laughs> but you know, she asked about my childhood at one point while we were dating, and you know, I started talking about it, and it talked about the abuse that I had suffered, et cetera. And her reaction was not to be sympathetic to me. Her reaction was. I don't know if I want to be a partner with you. Mm. You've been through that stuff. I don't know that I want to be a partner with you. I got the same. Yeah. And from your, from your current husband or from, from other people. Okay. No, her prior husband. (laughs) No. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I can be with you because of your issues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And for me, it wasn't even just because of your issues. Like I hadn't even talked about these were issues. It's just like talked about this had happened, right? Not like how it affects me or anything, you know, and people will look at that and go, that's damaged goods. I don't want to be with that. Mm. That's that's less than right. 
so yep. and true. I, I know it's not true. I know, but I know. Mm. I'm putting it out there for everybody to understand that mm-hmm. you know, anybody who listens to this podcast, right? Don't believe that just because you've gotten through it, right, that the world will accept you. You're gonna have to find people because there's always gonna be people out there who are gonna judge you based on something external, based on something from your past. Don't take that in. Yep. And when you take it in, try and get it out again. <laughs> because you could always find someone who can who can validate all the worst things about you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, uh, this is this is a really fascinating topic for me. And I, for, for me personally, I guess I've always I feel like most most of when I conceived of this podcast, I like I, I thought, oh, okay, it, well, by the way, yeah. Elgin, yeah, England lost. No, fuck. God damn it. Oh, what was the score? What was nice the score? No, no, I'm glad I know. I'm glad I know. This is the uh, hold on. Up game. Well, last I saw France was up by one. I saw them score that goal. Yeah, they held off uh, da, 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 da. England knocked out for being beaten by France. Okay, let me see what's the they're not giving me the the, the score. Hold okay. on for a second. But two to one. Two to one. Okay. All right. That's 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 a good showing. I mean, look, France is the the the, the champion last time. It's fine. It's, it's, it's all good. Um but no, Sorry, so buddy. that's all right. That's all right. Um so but and I actually appreciate you you bringing that to my attention. Um so I just I wanted to say like so broadly speaking when I've conceived of this show I I've like the three kind of pillars that I want to explore on it are like are number one highlighting the abuses that occurred within the church um number two talking about um what specifically made people leave um because I feel like that's there's so much like value in sharing that collective intelligence and number three um I feel like is is the most often overlooked because it gets overshadowed by the other two uh and that's how do you rebuild a meaningful life after leaving? Um, and yes, and and yeah. that's why I want to dive into this. And and but with with you guys who have more experience than me, like you said, you've been out of it longer than I have. Um, and you've been out of it longer than some people have been alive. Yeah, exactly. And most second chance have been exactly. alive that I talk. Exactly. To. <laughs> and so yeah. you, for me personally, and I just hope that for me, this is really valuable for me. But I, I and I hope it's going to be valuable for the audience as well. But even this idea of like, of like, what's a, what's a reasonable expectation for like a mutual understanding for a relationship with, with someone? Um, like, I feel like I've just learned something from you guys that I can apply to my own situation, basically. Um, and that's incredibly valuable to me. So I, I would say, I mean, with that question, I would say what's important um, from, I'll just speak personally, right? It's like that the other person may never really fully understand it. And I, and for me, sometimes I lose me in trying to explain it. Mm. So I have to get to the point where I don't need you to understand it. I just need you to respect it. Yeah. And I need you to honor it. And I need you to, if you have problems with it, go talk to somebody else about it. Mm. Right. But like I, cause I would try and explain And When you, when you try to, exp- when I try to explain my trauma, it re-traumatizes me. And it, it just, it just keeps it going. And when I can be like, I can't spend time explaining this to you. I'm glad you don't understand it. And this is how I need what I need, the space, the boundaries, the acceptance, the like, you know, what's okay, what's not okay. Mm. 
then then you can navigate it then you mm. then then it then it can work but yeah but i spent a lot of time either thinking i was broken you know you're blaming most of our marital pro any of our marital problems on my issues because when you i like to say when your child is as good it's great enough that you can write a memoir right and it gets published <laughs> everything can be blamed on your issues mm. every single thing that happens in our in, in a relationship with me can be blamed on the issues from my childhood and that's not true mm. no it's just and you that's Except with Robbie, and that's not true. And that, but that's not true. But I did. I I bought that right. That was yeah. more that I bought and believed for a while, right? Yeah. I and especially yes, I am the perfectionist. I'm the one who I'm going to work harder to make it right. And I'm like my what one of the things that saved me is if you put something in front of me, I will do it. I will do it really fucking well, even if I like drive myself into the ground in the process. It's a good thing and a bad thing. And so I do have this sense of it's all my responsibility. It was all my responsibility too young an age and I had way too much responsibility yeah, we all parenting, do. right? You know, taking care of everything. And and I have the ability to actually do it often. And so I will. And and that's, again, that's the bullshit that was given to me. So it's mm. learning not to do that. For me, similar but different from Lisa, right? For me, my ability to find relationship and to be in relationship and to relate to other people, whether or not they understand it has come, has gotten better as I've gotten better at forgiving myself. Hmm. As I forgive myself for stuff, then my need to be right. My need to make them understand my need to, you know, drops away. Right. Hmm. I don't need them to understand why the sky is blue and I don't need to prove to them that the sky is blue. Maybe they're colorblind. Maybe I'm colorblind. Right. And I can just let it go at that. This is what it is. Right. And I can explain it to you. It's blue. This is blue. Don't you see, you know, and then I realize, okay, you know, you don't see blue, whatever color it is to you. That's fine. Right. And just leave it be. And as I'm able to forgive myself more, and why as kids do we take on all that blame? Why why were you know little kids, right? Why are we why do we need to forgive ourselves for everything that happened to us when we were little? We do. Whatever the reason is, we do. We all internalize it. As I can forgive myself and love myself as I am, and Try to relax into being who I want to be instead of fighting to be who I want to be and struggling to be who I want to be and marching forward as God's Heavenly soldiers. Right? Marching yeah. mm -hmm. on, yeah, soldiers. Like this, talking at, at everybody, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, when I can let go of that, things flow so much easier and people, people are easier around me. And I draw different people into me. So I draw many fewer people who are like, oh, oh, that happened to you. Oh, I, I can't, I can't be around you because that happened to you. It's like blaming a rape victim, blaming an accident victim. Oh, yeah. you lost your leg in a car accident. I can't, I can't talk to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so you, there are always, no matter what it is, there's always going to be some set of people out there who will look at you and see you wanting, no matter who you are. Right. There's that always, you know, that, the joke, and I don't know if, if women say the same thing about men, but there's always there's always this thing that men say. It's like, doesn't matter how hot the woman is, there's some guy who didn't want her, who who, who threw her out because he thought she was fucking nuts and didn't want to deal with her, right? I, I, I haven't how, heard that one before, but I, I'm with you. 
100%. Yeah. No matter how no matter how great the person looks, there's always somebody who doesn't like them, right? Yeah. And turning that around, one of the things that, you know, was, I think it was Marlon Brando, but I don't know. It's an urban legend. I think it was him. Said, you know, if there are 200 people in a room and he's going and doing whatever, right? He'll focus his entire attention on the one person who's not liking his performance. Of course, that's human nature. But that's what we all do, right? And I'm trying to get to the point of, yeah, there are going to be people who aren't going to like it, aren't going to like me, who don't get it, who whatever. And I don't want to bring them into my life. Mm-hmm. I don't need to yeah. prove my worth by winning them over to somehow or other heal my childhood. It, mm-hmm. It's forgiving myself. And then learning also to forgive others. Because the other thing I found for me, I don't know, Lisa, because you and I reacted differently to things and internalized differently. But because I was so angry at myself, it made it very easy for me to be self-righteous and angry at anybody who helped and who did anything differently. You know, whether it was just the bullshit or whether it was just like, this is how I got out. So therefore, this is how you have to get out because that's how I did it. Whatever it is, right? The more I can let go of all that shit about me, I can also let go of all that shit in judgment of others. What what I would, yes, and, and everything Ravi says about himself softening is absolutely beautifully true. And it's oh, so it's amazing. It's awesome to hear. It so must be awesome to see that as a sibling to like. Oh, I only do it for Lisa. It, it he is, only does it for me. <laughs> I've right been on this journey in my life to make it's Lisa It's all happen. about me. It's yeah. absolutely yeah. all okay, about good. me. I want to, I want to have a really good line. Notice, <laughs> note to self, don't say anything nice to your brother. Okay, fine. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm about to get one of the other ways we're different. I'm about to get my uh, fourth and fifth tattoo. And my fifth tattoo will be first, most, and always, because I believe we all need to love ourselves first, most, and always, right? And so that was so not given to us no. as kids in this cult, right? That love no. wasn't given to us from other people. And to do that for ourselves was wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. so that, that it'll be right. It'll be first. I can't decide which way it's going to go. But first, mm. most, and always be. And that's what I also heard in what you were saying. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I need to see it. It's for me to see. Um, but yeah, right? <laughs> Sorry, like, Robbie just, just suggested she should get a forehead tattoo. With, uh, with <laughs> Lisa, if you do it backwards across your forehead, every time you look in the mirror, you'll remind oh, yourself. Oh, <laughs> God, shut the fuck up. Um, yeah. So yeah. But right? But that that is what I've learned, right? That's what I've preach in my yeah. work and that's what I firmly believe and that's what I try and live and that's what I also heard mm. Robbie in your own words right we've learned to finally let go of the demons that taught us otherwise like what I had like you know I'm just gonna say and I like I, I teach this as well in the work I do right like all those all those fucked up ways of seeing the world and all those things we learned and all that self-loathing it saved my life mm. I needed to do it to survive the craziness that we were in, right? That's what we do as kids. We take it in, we internalize, and we come up with, you know, coping mechanisms that then at some point, if we're lucky, we realize they are really just painful. Like, I feel like I'm opening my own cages and stepping out, right? I've I've written a manifesto. One of them is like, I release my cages, right? I release myself from my cages, right? I'm just not going to hold myself into these false beliefs that were put in my brain. And so it really is, you know, first, most and always. It doesn't mean like and always like it doesn't mean I don't love other people. I'm I'm one of the most loving, gushy people. I've been told I love too much to a fault. All that is true. 
but first, most and always, first, first my brother, and then me, first, most and always. Like, am I taking care of myself? Am I like curling up with a on the are couch? You, are you going to get like Robbie tattooed on the other arm? I just might. So, just so he's... <laughs> and they can come together and play. I'm actually going to be first and then like Robbie, Robbie, Robbie first, always. Robbie most, Robbie always in me. That's exactly what it's going to be. The other, the, the, my fourth tattoo is going to be reclaiming a church hymn that one memory I have. Oh, really? Oh, which symbol? So it's, uh, it's a hymn, right? So it's the, um, I'll never leave you anymore. I don't know if mm. they were singing it when you were around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that. So right? that was a hymn. So I think that's an old, it's, it's an old Christian hymn, but, yeah. uh, but it was evidently it was sung when you were around but it was but it was also sung when i was around going to workshops and stuff yeah so the speak the truth in a clear voice there that line yeah, i remember uh, i right? can hear the music in my head right in sorry sorry right voice. and i still sing yeah. these things right i still sing these yeah. things they still go through my head so it's going to be speak my truth and i'm pointing to where it's going to be speak my truth in okay. a clear voice okay so that's my amazing like, taking it back taking amazing it back. amazing um i uh I want to switch gears here a bit, um, and I want to read another passage uh, from your book, Lisa. Um, and this, so okay, I have to say we don't have time to cover all this, but this is why people should read your book. Is um, I like you, you chart your journey, sort of you know starting in in the church as we've as as we've discussed, but then um, you know going through uh, adolescence, uh, you know living in New York half the time in new york city when your dad was a bartender and there's all this crazy stuff happening one of my favorite bits is when you 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 reference like going to a party and listening to the ramones in the 70s and i'm like oh that's cool they were doing like like amazing <laughs> did you ever see them play live in new york back in the day that would be that'd be amazing i can t- i did see the ramones play live and i also there was one time we were walking we were walking down was it a cbgb street. I didn't see them at CBGB. Okay. okay I'm sure they, okay. I've been to CBGB. Yeah. Okay. Of course. Yeah. Right. Okay. But um, we're walking down 13th street right behind the palladium. I forget who was playing. I did see Adam Ant in the palladium. I probably shouldn't say that on, um, you know, out, out loud, but no, Joey cool. Ramon, Joey Ramon is like messed up beyond belief. And he's like stumbling around with someone and he's like talking to us and asking where the car is. And we're like, Joey, we don't know you. <laughs> we're not your friends. Like you're really cool, but we're not your friends. <laughs> but yeah, so like your book kind of charts your journey through like, you know, being part of the cult and like, but, and then also faced with this reality of like living with your dad and being part of that whole, you know, downtown party scene, basically um, as a teenager. Um, and then going through, you know, many difficult circumstances Um uh, including, you know, like first romances and like multiple sort of relationship quandaries that you face within the church, but but complicated by the fact that you are that you are in the church and confused about what you how you should be viewing your place in the church and kind of one foot in one foot out and how do you approach relationships and also it should be mentioned being groomed by people within the church to you know potentially get involved with them. Uh, like older didn't realize church, it at basically. the time but yeah. uh-huh <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's and this is this is like all happening this is, everything i've described is all happening at the same time in your book effectively yeah, yeah. um i like so, to say that my anchors like the people who were grooming me sexually yeah, yeah. were actually the people who also saved me from going under right so they're like they wow. were really horrific influences but they also were the anchors that kept me from jumping off the bridge wow it's so it's God. 
it's interesting because they were also the same. We were friends with the same people. They were also the, they were grooming my sister and grooming me in drug, et cetera, you know, that I'm trying to stay Whoa. away from. It's, it's all very good brothers in the church. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. 10, yeah. 12 years older than us, right? Yeah. They're just looking after you, Lisa. Just looking after just, us. Yeah. I'm just looking just, after you, Lisa. Come on, me, yeah. I'm just looking after you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can, I, I honestly, I feel like you're, you're, book really does a good job of capturing that sort of like the because it's obvious in hindsight what was going on there then but your book does a good job of cap i'm sure as you were writing it you were aware of what was going on but the book you do a good job of capturing how confusing it was in the moment basically so 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 fucked up so so Mm. confusing like when i when i like i often flash back in therapy to certain ages and i hit those teenage years which were just like teenage is hard enough but like all of that going on and then right I'm best friends with Moon's daughter Injun one of our blessed children best friends one of my blessed children's friend is being seduced by one of the people who's grooming me and to this day if I asked him would tell me that I'm I'm the only one he's ever loved still they would still say that yes (laughs) yes it was just you and me I should have picked you instead of so seduced had an affair with one of the blessed children she, you know, got pregnant, freaked out, spread rumors about me yeah. that I wanted to have sex with all the brothers. Moon heard the rumors, believed the rumors, and banished, like said only, oh, that's us. <laughs> Just to chime in here very quickly for the audio-only audience. On the video, at this moment in time, you will see Rob holding up a photo of Lisa and himself. And that photo was the basis for the portrait that you will see in the artwork for this episode, wherever you see the artwork for it. Now back to the interview. Is that you? That's you too? That's us at Belvedere. Yeah. Right. No. Right at that time. Right at that yeah. time. Yep. Uh, it said, you know, oh. a moon, moon made. Oh my God. Only- okay. You, you look so young, Lisa. And I don't mean that in like a, in like a, you know, like you just look so young to be groomed in this like in the way yeah, that you're was, talking yeah. about like yeah. Elgin, i yeah. will send this to you actually. okay all right and yeah. we can share that with the audience if, if you it's up to you lisa we can we can share that i'm good with that yeah. i share the yeah. picture all the time so yeah. so moon hears the rumors believes the rumors and makes a decree that only blessed children can be with the true children like only the blessed no. children can be okay with. so in order you to keep me away from engine because but this came from moon himself this came, came from, from moon, moon himself, himself. So I go into my senior year of high school with everything you're talking about and also knowing that like not only do I think I'm sinful, but the Messiah knows how satanic I'm because mm. I'm questioning and I'm wow. doubting. So I know Satan's in me and he's banished me from his daughter. So he knows. Oh. Yeah. So I okay. was not in good shape. That's really What's also interesting up. about that is at the time, around that same time, the daughter that seduced that, that that this guy seduced it was right? earlier actually but i know what you're gonna say yeah it was earlier yeah. yeah yeah developed a crush on me i didn't know about it oh okay um but my mom our mom was working at jacob house they lived up you know um grace mirror or wherever it was up up further up the, yeah. up the road up near, yeah up the road and because she developed a crush on me the head of that of, of Jacob House in that whole area, one of the, one of the thirty six couples, right? The woman of thirty six couple, decreed that the only people that were allowed into Jacob House 
were the caretakers, the children that lived there, and the children's parents. We weren't so, allowed in. Yeah. Okay. We weren't allowed in to see our mom because this, this oh, wait, woman. Hey, oh, wait, and your mom worked there. At the my time. mom lived there. We, my yeah. mom lived there. And we were not allowed in. We'd been, we'd been there for years. We'd been going up there for years, going up there on weekends, spending time with them, helping raise the kids, et cetera. And this, this girl developed a crush on me. So they set up a rule that banned me from seeing my mother. And we would come up on, on uh, for the bus on, on services. We would run over before the bus leaves. And we'd say, knock on the door, and we would not be allowed to cross the threshold. So she would, they would get her. Oh she would God. come out. She would stand at the door. Talk to us for 10 minutes and we have to run back to get the bus back. And sometimes she wouldn't come out because she was too busy taking care of other people's kids. So she couldn't come out to say hello to us. Yeah, we weren't allowed to see our mom. That mindset of... Fucked up. Oh my God. That mindset of, oh, somebody has a problem. Somebody else is is having a problem here. So let's cut this off. Let's protect the blessed children. Protect the blessed children. Protect the blessed children. Let's amputate no matter what it is. How do you... (laughs) Are you mad at me for being a blessed child? Like what is... (laughs) Like, how, no, what's, I'm jealous. What's that like? <laughs> oh man, I was so jealous. You know, jealous. I will tell you that. So when I found, I literally uh, thought maybe they won't let me in because oh, I'm not a blessed child. Man, I thought the oh, same yeah, thing. Yeah. We played with the true children, yeah, and the blessed children, and then yeah. we were sinful. So that hierarchy is deeply yeah. carved. Yeah. And I, I remember I was I was actually who I you know, who I said something to and she said something about my mom. And I'm like, I want you to know that I love you. And I don't hate you from the fact that my mother took care of you. Right. Cause my, wow. and my, you have to yeah. also know that years after she left, you know, it maybe it's a little different now, but my mom used to call us and be like, I just connected with so-and-so who I took care of at Jacob house. They're so damaged and hurt because their parents abandoned them when they were kids. Wow. And we'd be like, yeah. They are. They are. Because she literally said at one point, I never abandoned you because you were always in my heart. Oh, wow. Whoa. What you have to do in your brain. Right. Yeah. I I would say that that's that's part of how uh, Yeah, you have just like we have to learn how how to, 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 to rationalize this to survive. They had to, too. Yeah. Yeah. Your parents did too. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They all yeah. did. They all yeah. did. Um, and the other thing was, you know, the only other kids that were playing with Hyojin and the blessed kids, right? The only other kids that were playing with Hyojin and Injin, et cetera, right? With so while and were not blessed kids, their parents were blessed. Mm. So they were. It's like oh, we, okay. Yeah. All the way at the bottom. It was there's the true children that we get that we oh, play yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's mm-hmm. the 36 couples children that yeah. we played we with. Playing the with. Couples children that we played yeah. with, that we're friends with. And then there was, you know, other blessed kids that we all yeah. hung out with, you know, and there were and then there were the children of blessed parents, but the, who were yeah. And there was us. And not only <laughs> yeah. were we not only were we <laughs> us, but we also were us is that our mom was in, but we were living in sin with our father. So we were like, yeah, you were like, that was, that was, yeah, that was, that was lower. That was cast. bad. Yeah. That, that was lower cast. That was, <laughs> wow. Yeah, and we weren't Korean. You know, we weren't Japanese. Yeah, well, there's also we a racial, American. there's a racial aspect to this as well, right? Yeah. yeah you're not, back then there was, yes. Yeah. Japanese, yeah. Japanese brothers and sisters were better 
than yeah. American brothers and sisters. Yeah. And Korean Koreans were better than the Japanese. Yeah. Well, they speak the Korean Chinese. in the kingdom of heaven, people. Come on. I, it's the language of the kingdom yeah. of heaven. Yeah. Um, okay. Yes, I have, so you're going to read. Yes. Yeah, I was going to read. I have some more questions on this topic, but I'm going to read and then we'll hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Folks, how good was that? How much do we love Lisa and Robbie, the elder statesmen of ex-Mooney kids? Fucking love them. Um, that was a fantastic conversation. And you should definitely stick around for part two uh, because we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about um, going to strip clubs with Hyojin Moon. Yeah, that's a thing. Rob's got a story to tell on that front. Um, what else we got? We got more passages, some some banging passages from Lisa. And just some more heartfelt conversations about uh, rebuilding your life. I feel like uh, I personally have a lot to learn from these two. And I hope you felt like that as well as the audience. Coming up later this season, we're looking more at Europe. Got some guests lined up on this side of the pond. We're going to be looking deeper at the offering child phenomenon. Because I know that is a an area of concern in Japan right now. And we're going to be looking at... A lot of other stuff and um, hopefully making fun of the Moon family along the way. See you next time. Bye-bye. Also, wait, shit. One more thing to say. I gave Lisa an opportunity to plug herself at the end of the interview, which means it comes at the end of the next episode. But I want to put that information here now so that you can buy her book as soon as possible. Please buy Lisa's book, To the Moon and Back. The best way to do it is on her website. It's lisaconewrites.com. L-I-S-A-K-O-H-N-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. If you buy it there, Lisa gets paid, her local bookstore gets paid, and you get a signed copy of the book. That's the best way to do it. And uh, I would love for every member of the audience of this show to support a fellow independent author and activist by buying Lisa's book. Um, maybe we can crash her website or something. Let's see if we can do it. Peace, y'all.